Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblinscrowlers, uh, and we'll see you all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. I'm Brandon Dingus at Wave Brandalore on several social media platforms. <laughs> How are you, my fine sir? Uh, I'm all right. I'm all right. It's been a bit of a hectic couple of weeks. I feel like we just did this. Like we were recording this episode not too long after we recorded the one that came out this past week, which today is May 31st to help contact, I guess, because nobody else knows what the hell time it is that we're doing this. But um, (laughs) so it just it's kind of a bit of a fugue state kind of thing, because I just I was like, weren't we just doing this? Didn't we just record? Well, yeah, like the, the the Memorial Day holiday weekend just sort of blinked by. Um, and now that's all over and it's just back to business as usual. A little bit. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that the four day week would feel more restful because it's like, oh, well, you know, we got a three day weekend. We're only working for four days. Like it'll be like getting two weekends closer together. It'll be so nice. But I ended up sleeping a good chunk of Memorial Day mm-hmm. and then. Going into work on Tuesday, I was like, what day is it? Is it? It feels like Monday. Is it Monday? It feels like Monday. Yeah. Um, I didn't have any of those problems, but it was just, uh, there was stuff going on all weekend. And then getting into the week, I was just like, ah, like I got homework and I had to order some stuff and it was just complicated. But you it's woke fine. Up, you woke up, you were trying to present for a test that you didn't study for. Uh, you realized you weren't wearing any pants. You woke up again in a cold sweat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I yeah. studied like hell for that test and I got away <laughs> on it. So, oh, uh, good, good. Yeah. So that's good. So I'm taken care of. <laughs> um, uh, got the, uh, got the um, control deck from my Robotron cabinet. So it's looking a non zero percentage closer to being done. Hell yeah. Yeah. I had to drill some holes in it and stuff because they set it up for the wrong sort of mount. And I had to, uh, it was very nerve wracking because I paid a not insignificant amount of money to have that go, like all done. And then they sent it to me and it wasn't, but it's fine. It's done. It's, it's set up. I'm not worried about it. But anyway. I guess it's as long as it was satisfactory enough to justify the cost, then that's, you know. That's all that really matters at the end of the day. On the surface, the answer is yes. Um, we shall ultimately see. <laughs> <laughs> fair. Yeah. Fair. So let's let's talk a little bit of there's been a there's been a few things a rumbling around in the TTRPG news sphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's start things out by talking about how Paizo is removing Drow from Pathfinder 2E. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the uh, caveat here that, like I said, we're recording this on May 31st. All this news is very up to date as of recording. We're (laughs) 
hoping that for the next slightly more than a week and a half, uh, everything will stay fresh and it won't go sour. Uh, like some people's uh, opinions of the drow in, uh, you know, D&D, even after the OGL. Uh, <laughs> I thought nice. of that transition just right nice. off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, you know, Pathfinder, they're doing they're doing their own thing, uh, obviously, with their um, with their new uh, system. And they're trying to step even further away from the open gaming license, which is good and healthy for everybody, I think. Um, and I was, I was of two minds when I saw this news. You know, they're dropping the drow. Um, it, like, I shouldn't be surprised that they did this, but I am kind of surprised that they're just talking about it now. You know, I feel like that's the that's something that could have been brought up earlier or not could have been because that makes it sound like i feel like they're not doing their job but it, it just seems like as part of the conversations that were going on like coming off of D's, you know wizards sort of questionable um perceptions of of culture and what is and isn't acceptable nowadays uh, coupled with all the ogl stuff i really uh feel like this was part of an earlier conversation. I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is just like, it's just strange at the end of May uh, when there's really not a whole lot going on right now for them to say this. Um, but I, maybe, maybe that's why. To me, this feels like the sort of thing where they knew they were getting away from the OGL. They knew that they were going to lose certain things as part of that. And they were trying to decide what they were going to keep even while abandoning the OGL and to like tweak and remix and turn into something else while keeping it separate from Watsi's OGL. And I yeah. think Drow are one of those things where it's like, I don't know, like dark elves are kind of cool and like they do kind of cool stuff sometimes. So maybe we keep those. Well, let's talk know. about, let's talk about why it's not cool to keep the Drow. <laughs> uh, it's because they have dark skin and live underground and are evil. Um, I mean, I think it's very, it's very much racist. (laughs) I think Pathfinder abandoned the all drow are evil arc Mm -hmm. well before Watsi did. Oh, yeah. If I recall correctly. I seem to recall the same thing. But that is a plus. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, my arm is gangrenous. I can either take a chance on on getting it fixed medically or I can just have it amputated. And sometime the healthiest thing to do is to amputate it. Yeah. And it's, it seems to me like that's where this ultimately landed was if we're going to include more, more playable character race kind of stuff, then maybe we don't use something that's got quite such a problematic history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess problematic history is maybe like a, a very, like charitable way to put it i guess like we can (laughs) i think we can just say it's racist when it's racist Um, that's fair yeah that's fair um and uh you know they're they're saying all the things that you would expect them to say um about it it's like oh you know like the dark lands which is essentially like their version of underdark uh it's like oh it's still very part of the traditions of uh of our world and everything and there's going to be uh it's still going to be a part of it and there are a lot of creatures that come from that from that place, and they're you know they're not going to be we're not going to lose those, uh, but this is just not going to be a thing that we have to deal with here. 
Um, they, um, uh, let's see, yeah, changes to the lore. Um, I read over this earlier, so I'm just sort of going back and refreshing myself on it a little bit. Uh, they, they're detailing some changes to it um, in an upcoming thing, which I guess will sort of paper over it a little bit. Um, it's, it's essentially like, sounds like it's going to be sort of a Volo's Guide kind of thing. And uh, where it's like, oh, the Pathfinder Karaya as Marin, which I don't have a whole lot of familiarity with uh, Pathfinder's world, which I believe is Galarian. Um, so I'm guessing this is uh, a sort of uh, one of those type of sort of Raceland or Volo sort of characters in it. It's like, oh, they've fiddled with the truth a bit when uh, when reporting on the drow. So they're going to retcon all of it out and be like, oh, yeah, you know, that was just so there'll probably still be allusions to it, but uh, they'll paper over it and just say, oh, and, you know, I'm saying paper over it, which can be interpreted as like pejorative, but I don't mean it that way, because um, I feel like what they are doing is like, OK, this is like a positive thing that they're that they're trying to do. Um, but they're going to keep the like the deep gnomes uh, who have uh, been uh, renamed and reflavored. Um, but this was all this all came out of a uh, live stream the other day where they were detailing a lot of these changes and they're talking about how it's a way where we can take old ideas and shape them into new pathfinder stuff uh, quote but the drow isn't one of those things we could easily salvage and there's a lot of baggage that comes with the drow and a lot of dndness and i think salvage is a really good word to use there like talking about the gangrenous arm like sometimes it's better to just burn the forest down and start fresh on some of this stuff well he they did point out as part of that that uh deep gnomes used to have a historic tie to the drow and specifically slavery uh uh underneath and right. it's like can we just stop yeah exactly <laughs> and uh this goes back to uh our discussion about uh dark sun and why, why there are some irredeemable bits for it uh, and, uh, it's funny. I was, I was, we're trying to use the YouTube channel a little bit more now. Uh, and I promise I'll bring this back around to what we're talking about, but, uh, uh, so we're trying to use it more now. So we're trying to upload the podcast regularly to it, uh, like right around when it comes out on podcatchers and stuff like that. And I go and I check, you know, analytics every once in a while. And, uh, like the most recent comment we got was on our dark sun video where we were like, you know, and that's the one where I was just like, yeah, we want to hear your takes on Dark Sun unless it's a bad take and then we don't want to hear it. And <laughs> uh, somebody somebody had a comment that was something to the effect of, oh, so like mayhem and murder and all kinds of stuff is uh, totally acceptable. But this, that, the other thing. I'm like, you know, there's like, there could be a really nuanced answer to that question. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, let's not, let's not promote slavery. Like uh, we live in a world where um, understandably that's a really sensitive issue that uh there are a lot there are some people on one side of it and then there's uh, other people who are on the wrong side of talking about the, you know sort of the history of slavery and how it needs to be taught and discussed but maybe maybe we can just not perpetuate that kind of thing in sort of uh fantasy realms where we're all trying to escape from the 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 mundane world that drags us down every day maybe Maybe I don't want to have to grapple that this kind of character I want to play has a history of their species being enslaved. Yeah, it it just raises so many awkward conversations that end up needing to happen at the table when someone comes in and they're like, hey, you know what? I want to play uh, someone who either 
was previously an enslaved person or previously enslaved people. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know that I want to navigate that as a GM at my table, but thank you so much for offering. Yeah. And I, I am honestly curious where this is going to put wizards because this feels like one of those things that's a first domino falling. You know, I don't remember hearing, I I could be very wrong. Anybody who's listening to this, please feel free to correct me if I am, but I do not recall anything about wizards uh, trying to change or dial back the drow. Um, Josh, I can see you looking at a screen and I think you're looking it up. No, I'm not looking it up. Uh, What I'm, what I'm doing is I'm recalling uh, that was that was me zoning out for a second as I thought about what you were saying. Mm-hmm. I think Wizards has dialed back the drow a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, specifically after people were like, hey, here's an idea. What if you didn't have specific groups of people that were literally classified as evil just mm-hmm. for being part of that group of people? Because mm-hmm. that's uh, what's the word for it? Racist. racist. Yeah, racist. <laughs> Well, it's a really sensitive Uh, topic. Uh, And and, uh, Drow, Yonti, and a couple of others were like, oh, hey, you know how we've always described them as all being evil? What if maybe there was a little more nuance to that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think they didn't go far enough with Drow because Drow still have like, oh, it's not that it's not that all of them are evil. It's that almost all of them are evil because they worship an evil God. Uh-huh. And so, you know, if you're going to worship an evil God, of course you're going to be evil. And it's like, hey, guys, let's consider for a moment that uh, society would not operate on pure evil alone. <laughs> yeah. It would chew itself up so fast. Now that you say that, I do remember that. I had just forgotten about it. So that's fair that they are taking some steps. But also, like, you know, that's probably not enough. Uh, You've still got a race of black-skinned people, most of whom are evil, who live underground. Um, I think it's harder for wizards to change that, though. Uh, And let's keep in mind the general difficulty that wizards has changing its stars uh in terms of you know moving forward on stuff uh and leaving the past behind on a lot of things um uh, because like think of one of their most you know famous uh and well-known sort of marquee characters Driz Darden like if you're going to take away a lot of those traits from the drow, then you have to completely reimagine the entire history of that character. And then you get into sort of like a star Wars um, argument of like, Oh, well we're taking all the, the, the book canon and we're making that like, what did they call that legends? Yeah. That they took away all of the book canon. They made it legends. And then uh, John Favreau, and um dave filoni dave filoni were both like hey but we liked a lot of that so Mm -hmm. we're bringing this back and we're bringing this back yeah and i mean what i'm saying is probably only slightly an apples and oranges kind of thing but it's easier for somebody like like uh pathfinder to make that kind of change to this really sort of like baked in species to to the overall sort of fantasy role-playing game lore more difficult for wizards it was it was difficult for wizards to 
stop being racist against the Romas for 30 years uh, after and when there would have been absolutely like Ravenloft was maybe like it was really like a second tier um, setting. If we want to be like real honest about it, Um, it wasn't like a, a Greyhawk or a Forgotten Realms that a lot of people talk about and a lot of people use as entry points to it. But they just let that perpetuate just because they're like, eh, like we like we know, but we're also not going to do anything about it. I've got a really, a really crazy zany idea. And uh, Wizards of the Coast, if you're listening, you can have this one for free. What if the group of drow that happen to be evil that Driz Doerden and et cetera are so affiliated with are one small cast of a larger society. And the only reason why Wizards has been so focused on that group to date is because that's the only group that's really close to the Sword Coast or wherever the hell the Underdark is supposed to be. <laughs> the Sword Coast, the where 99.9% of all Dungeons and Dragons adventures I, take place in the 21st I century. I have to assume it's near the Sword Coast because they've written about it. So it must be. <laughs> And so literally they expand the region a little bit and immediately find drow that are like, hey, you know what? Like we live in caves too and we really enjoy that. Like it's a very peaceful existence. It's very calm. Uh, the like we're very meditative as a people because we've got a lot of like rhythm that happens underground, dripping of water, uh, the erosion of stone. Like everything has a rhythm. Everything makes sense. Like there's so many directions they could take that. Mm-hmm. Literally all they have to do is be like this one group of drow. Yes. Evil. But that's because this one group of drow is very focused on evil. And then most drow aren't like that. But this is the one group we've been interacting with. Here, it's- check out all these other drow in these massive massive map that we haven't mapped out at all in 60 years yeah speaking of john favreau (laughs) and dave filoni you're taking the children of the watch approach to mandalorians like they don't these ones don't take off their helmets uh they're the only ones we've been interacting with until we talk to these other ones (laughs) (laughs) i mean look man like it works okay Uh (laughs) uh-huh Um, but yeah, and, uh, thanks to, uh, wargamer.com uh, for, uh, having this article up there that, uh, succinctly summarized the issue that specifically we author Molly Russell. Yeah, we are, uh, you know, we're podcasters. And one of the things that podcasters do is act as aggregators for other people's work sometimes. Uh, so the least we can do is give credit. We should absolutely give credit. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if we're going to hold that webpage up on our YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, anyways, at Jeremy Crawford, uh, you know, feel free to take Josh's idea. It's a, it, it would work. Maybe you want to do something slightly different with it. That's fine. That's fine. You can absolutely reconceptualize what I'm talking about. But it's such an easy fix, you guys. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so talking about uh, you know legacy issues with uh, D and D and legacy content and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh, something good uh, that I'm looking forward to is the Planescape uh, re-release that's coming out. Uh, very excited about that. Um, 
you know, as as we know, Planescape was the creation of one of our favorites, uh, Zeb Cook, who was the lead designer on it. I did some math today when I was uh, refreshing myself on some of this stuff. You know, he's like 89 years old. He was born in 34. And I was like, oh, he was like in his 40, late 40s or fi- early 50s before he started doing any TTRPG stuff and like working for um, TSR. Uh, he was like in his 60s when he invented Planescape. So that's pretty cool. Um, but uh, there was a preview that came out for the Planescape Adventures in the Multiverse uh, release. And it's coming out uh, later this year, uh, not until like October, I think. But it's very much going to be given sort of the red carpet treatment, sort of like how Spelljammer was with um, uh, like a triple book uh, with a slipcase release, some maps and things like that. Um, And I like how the Bell of Lost Souls story, uh, which I haven't checked, but I'm guessing if I scroll up, it's going to be written by J.R. Zambrano. You are Um, correct. Yep, yep. Yeah, it is, because he writes all of those stories. (laughs) Um, It. I, I, you know, I remember uh, Planescape in the mid to late 90s, and it was just really fascinating and it was really different. I had the PC game for it that was running on the Baldur's Gate engine and everything. But, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, you know, it takes us off sort of uh, the material plane and we get off into all this crazy zone where things like little robots are walking around. Um, it's sort of the nexus of the universe. Um, and you can go all kinds of different places through it. Um, that's sort of the, the, the very simplistic description of it, but, uh, it's, I guess it's sort of like the, the, the heaven and hell and all kinds of extra dimensional craziness for sort of your general D and D role-playing world, um, all just sort of smashed into one. Um, but uh, the details of this are three book set, setting book, monster manual, and an adventure. Uh, the setting book's only 96 pages, and uh, but it, uh, with player options and setting details. The monster manual is 64 pages, and the adventure book is 96 pages. Now, uh, last episode, we talked about that price hike on uh, Wizards books. Now, and this is exactly the kind of issue that has me worried about that kind of stuff, right? Because what is, you know, 96, this is like less than 300 pages, 96 plus 96 plus 64. So that's like 256 pages. And they're probably going to charge 70, 80. No, they're probably going to charge like 80, $90 for this. And, you know, there's probably going to be a slipcover to it. So some of the cost is in there as well. And there's a DM screen and a poster map, which I like the poster map because at least it's not one of those perforated maps. that's just stuck in the back of the book. Um, <laughs> And uh, deluxe cover art and everything like that. Um, I am very interested to see what the price point on this is going to be. Because what, like, Spelljammer was how much? Like, was that 70 when that came out? I think Spelljammer was still at the 60 price. Um, This will not be at that 60 price. I can almost guarantee that. (laughs) Oh, I can absolutely guarantee that. Yeah. No question. Yeah. And and uh, it says here in the story that like many folks are worried that there won't be enough uh, setting in the setting book at only 96 pages, including player options, and setting details. First of all, let's not do vague attributions like many folks are saying. People are saying everybody's talking about it. You know, <laughs> let's let's not let's not do stuff like that. Let's. Who, yeah, who's, Mr. Zambrano. Yeah. Who's talking about it? Like, are they making like cogent uh, observations on it or are they just complaining you know what is it um, listen 
listen, I think you and I both know that J.R. Zambrano, like us, is someone who gets on to the D&D Reddit mm-hmm. and just flips through comments to get a general vibe check, which Reddit is not necessarily the best place for a general vibe check, but it does at least give you enough credibility to say some people are saying. Yeah, lots of people are saying. Lots of people. <laughs> lots of, many people talking about it. It got um, upvoted a thousand times. There's no way everybody disagrees with this. Right. Um, I think 64 pages is probably fine for a monster manual supplement. Um, they don't want to give the farm away in that kind of situation because um, I'm sure they want to, they're planning for another 64 to 96 page uh, Planescape monster manual. And also don't forget that they also have that Monsters of the Multiverse supplement that they released. So those were things that you could plug into your spell jammer or your Planescape. So yep. I, I think that will help fill that out for folks. Um, 96 page adventure. Yeah, that's probably good. I miss the days when those were, um, not hardback though, because that would have cut down on cost a little bit too. Um, that's why if you're going to do a slip cover for three hardbacks, you might as well just put one extra, uh, like face on that thing, make it a box and just put, you know, put your map, put some paperback stuff, supplements in there along with, you know, maybe a hardback or another paperback source book. I did a little quick Googling just to see what it's up for as pre-order pricing. And right now, the pre-order pricing for uh, Planescape Adventures in the Multiverse is $59.95. And I don't, I don't think that's accurate. I don't believe that either. Um, Based on them saying, oh, we got to raise book prices because the prices of the books are more expensive. You got this box set that has three books in it, all of which need hardbound covers, uh, like glued and stitched and all that stuff. And then you yep. got a you got a DM screen and you got that big map that you got to put in there and the materials cost for the slip cover too. There's no way. There's no yeah, way. This, I don't like, like if you can lock in your pre-order price on this for like 59 bucks, <laughs> do it. <laughs> That's do it. not how any of this works. And you know it. No, cause, like, because I, it'll, this is going to go up by like 20 bucks at least, I bet. I would bet that you're either correct or close to correct. Uh, <laughs> you're either correct or not correct. No, <laughs> it's got to be one or the other. Um, no, I think, I think you're either right on the money or you're going to be like $5 off. That's, that's where I'm at on this because. I just don't see them. First of all, they were like, we're going to raise prices to $70. So we know it's not going to be $59.95. We know that. But I don't think they're going to sell the slipcover, the three books, even though they're three smaller size books. I just don't think they're going to sell all of that for 70 bucks. I think they're going to be closer to 85, 90, 95, like somewhere in there. And I'm, I don't know that I'm mad about that. Like that doesn't seem insane though it does like for the folks who are like ah like i don't know if i'm gonna buy D stuff at this point mm-hmm. dropping a book set that's like 95 bucks and then they're gonna turn around and be like well planescape hardly sold so i guess we stopped doing stuff there it's like mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting uh, i was i i did a quick search and i went to dungeons dragons fan.com and read their story on this while we were talking and it's like, how much is the book? And it says Planescape Adventures in the Multiverse will retail for $59.95, which is a notable increase in price over previous source books. But 
This isn't what? one source book. This is three source books. Like, I think we it said $59.95 was a price increase. No, remember when the prices went up? Yeah. From, to $69.95. That's for particular ones. Um go back is that and only is that only for the PHB and oh, you know what? You're right. Yeah. I I was thinking of them being like all of our books are seventy dollars yeah. now. No. no. <laughs> but you know, the if you look at it from the way the writer on Dungeons and Dragons fan.com uh who doesn't list their name, um, at least not at the top. Okay, it's Ali Delano. And uh if you look at this as one source book, then okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, calling it a noticeable price increase over previous source books. This person does not add the context of the announcement of them saying they were raising the prices. Um, uh, but you can't look at this, I don't think, as one source book, even though like it's one SKU, essentially, uh, because it costs more to do binding and stuff on three shorter books than one large book. Yeah. Well, and you've also got the map and you've also got the DM screen. Right. Each of those things. I mean, just printing the map is an additional expense. Yeah. Everything like we, costs something. We have printed maps before. They're not cheap to print as mm -hmm. things you print go. Mm -hmm. If this comes out on October 17th and is still $59.95, I will eat a nicely cooked steak. Uh, I'm not going to, <laughs> I'm not going to box myself into eating something disgusting or one of my hats, but I thought, I thought maybe you were going to go with my words and then you're going to print it on like edible paper mm -hmm. or something like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think, I think 59.95 is probably the, um, pre-order price. I think just because of the way they do business with Amazon, I think that it might be the Amazon price, but I think your brick and mortar prices on this are probably going to be at least $70. That would be so jacked, though. Like they, Wizards is constantly talking about how much they value friendly mm -hmm. local gaming stores because friendly local gaming stores are where they get new blood from. Oh yeah, they, you know you can't have Amazon run your adventures league. No, you can't. You also can't have Amazon uh, be a place where you can meet people to join your game. Right. Like that's none of those are things. So. If, if they're doing differential pricing for Amazon versus brick and mortar stores, then at that point, I'm mad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would. If they raise the price from fifty nine ninety five to, let's say, sixty nine ninety five or even seventy nine ninety five. At that point, I'm like, ah, I kind of get it. Like, it's not a ton of module that you're getting for the price. Mm -hmm. And that's a little on the expensive side. I sort of understand. Also, it gives you somewhere that you can fall back to as we get into the holiday shopping season for sales. I, uh, I sort of get it. It sort yeah. of makes sense. But yeah. if they're going, it's fifty nine ninety five at Amazon, and then seventy nine ninety five at your friendly local gaming store. I'm going to be like, you bastards. There's going to be some kind of price differential. History has shown us that. Um, and then the sixty four page uh, monster guide is also going to include NPCs in addition to monsters. So that cuts down a little more on, you know, how many Modrons you can fit in there. Um, 
how many different kinds of Modrons. But the uh, the adventure is called Turn of Fortune's Wheel, and it's described as a plot to undermine the rules of reality has caused a glitch in the multiverse. Contend with mighty immortals and chronicle the farthest reaches of the Outlands to uncover the truth of this conspiracy. It's wild to me that they waited this long. We're in our ninth year now of fifth edition that they waited this long to reintroduce Planescape. Like, what the hell? Yeah, I mean, it, they haven't moved exactly quickly with a lot of this. And introducing of stuff. Spelljammer ahead of Planescape. Like, maybe that, that was, maybe was that was a confusing decision. Yeah, maybe that was testing the waters on something a little bit more out there. You know, since since there's a lot more prestige sort of tied up in Planescape in a lot of like old school players' minds. Like, you know, like, oh, well, we'll really Spelljammer. And that's like, it's got a, it's, it's a little bit sort of lower in the rankings. So if that does well, then we'll know that Planescape is doing well. And of course, it could have been a marketing strategy to create false scarcity on different uh, settings. And then all of a sudden, just, you know, build up this consumer demand and then release Spelljammer. And then next year, release Planescape. Um, you know, we'll probably get another setting in October of 2024 as well with the same kind of sort of prestige three book format. Maybe, maybe yeah. we'll yeah. see. Yeah. But you know, we'll see. Uh, you could do, you could do probably a 96 page, um, setting book just on sigil alone, the, the city, uh, uh, let alone everything else that you need to touch for this. Yeah. Absolutely. So I will say regarding your earlier comment about uh, pricing differentials, mm -hmm. I think not 100% on this and folks, you'll need to check with your own friendly local gaming store. I think that is a pre-order versus release price difference and that your friendly local gaming store can get that pre-order pricing if you go in and you say, hey, I'm going to want this book when it comes out. I think mm -hmm. I'm not 100% on that and your mileage may vary. And then you got to put your money down right there and then. Uh, sometimes. Depends on the store. Yeah. If it were my store, you didn't need to put your <laughs> money down right there and then. I mean, fair. Because I'm not waiting five months for you to forget that you asked me to order this for you. <laughs> I think uh, I think a lot of local gaming stores have, they don't do pre-orders unless you're a regular. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, well, I see you every two weeks anyway. So I can right. just be like, hey, your book came in. <laughs> um but anyways yeah planescape i'm looking forward to it i'll buy it um just because i have really good memories of planescape stuff from back in the day uh, uh but i'll be very interested to see what that final price of it is going to be because i don't believe it's going to be 60 dollars. yeah we've got the um we've got the release of glory of the giants pending very soon and everything after that yeah Chat seemed very conflicted about whether or not to ask for the pre-order uh, from our friendly local Alpha Comics and Games, conveniently located in Willow Lawn, Richmond, Virginia. Josh, this and chat you're talking about, would it happen to be the chat in the Goblins and Growlers Discord? Uh, it, it was, in fact, uh, at bit.ly slash Goblin Discord. Mm -hmm. And we were in the Alpha Comics and Games uh, channel. Because sometimes the uh, proprietor of that store, Alex, will pop in and be like, hey, does anybody want to pre-order this stuff? Mm -hmm. So I know how many of these books to pre-order. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hell yeah, hit me with a copy. And then a couple of our other chatters came in and were like, eh, are we still buying Wizards of the Coast products? Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, 
I am at the moment, but I guess we'll see. Glory of the, the Giants, future. too. Glory of the Giants is one of those one-offs that I really don't have any interest in. Um, I remember when when we were talking about it with Noah, I think late last year, just mm-hmm. like I was like, eh, you know, like maybe this will be cool, like because the one they did for Dragons last year was pretty interesting. Um, but Dragons are Dragons and Giants are Giants. Uh, I mean, I'm, just, I'm less interested. I would have been less interested if it hadn't included a bunch of like subclass rules and a bunch of unique items and a few unique monsters and things like that. That's the sort of stuff I really enjoy because it gives me more that I can implement in my own stuff. If it was a module about exploring the realm of giants or something like that, I think I'd be like, eh, eh, eh. Yeah, but the fact that it's just, mostly like rules edition stuff for giants and giant things, I'm more like, go on. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess my my hesitation there is just paying that much for just that. Like, if that was one of the books, like the thinner supplements that came out, you know, uh, in the first few years uh, that were like thirty four ninety five MSRP, like, yeah, I can see that, but. Like once you start getting into the realm of sixty bucks for some of these things, like I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, you know, there's the cost of something, there's the value of something, and then there's the worth of something. And whenever you ask what something's worth, the answer is always whatever anyone's willing to pay for it, <laughs> um, which is different from cost and value. Uh, and I do not know if it's worth that much to me. That's fair. Yeah. Um. But anyway. Uh, so those are two big things for, uh, the 800,000 pound gorilla of Wizards of the Coast, uh, that's going on. Well, one thing for Pathfinder, which is related to the 800,000 pound gorilla. And then one thing (laughs) that's specifically the 800,000 pound gorilla, but, um, talking a little bit about some indie stuff. Um, I saw this today and I'm very excited about it because, uh, we're getting a new Troika book. Uh, and for those who aren't familiar, uh, here is uh, Troika. It is uh, done by uh, Daniel Sell and published under his company, the Melsonian Arts Council, uh, which if you if you look up their address on Google Maps, I'm pretty sure it's his house. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's just kind of funny. It's just in this like English neighborhood. <laughs> and uh, uh, but it's a, a really great, simple system that's easy to pick up. Um, they market themselves as the world's other favorite tabletop role-playing game. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Troika, it leans very heavy into just weird, surreal science fantasy kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it's really good. There are a lot of solid expan- or like uh, supplements and expansions that have come out. Another one that I've got is um, Paleozoic Pals by uh, Evie Lockhart. And it takes place in a world full of dinosaurs. And they all have different clans and everything like that. And hell the whole, yeah, the whole issue is they have to contend with humans, uh, like encroaching, which is you know not historically accurate or scientifically accurate, but you know whatever. But uh, Troika is sort of a, it's like an archetype style game. Like you don't have character classes; you have archetypes that you play, and it's only uh, it's technically a three stat game, but really it's more of like a two stat game plus luck. Um, and it's got some interesting inventory management, but anyway, um, 
uh, long shots. I got an email for this because uh, I'm on their mailing list. Uh, long shot city is coming out and it's going to be a superhero RPG for the Troika system. And notice I didn't say a superhero RPG expansion for the Troika system because this is going to be a self-contained rule book for it. So it's Ooh. building off, it's building off Troika. It's uh, building some interesting things. Uh, it's, uh, what's the name of, I mean, there's like Silver Age Sentinels. I'm trying to think of what some of the other superhero RPGs that were out there. There was, of course, there was Masks. the- yeah, masks. There was the Marvel superhero RPG from way back in the day that I played in college. Um, but it's the the great thing about Troika is it's very easy to build a kind of a specific sort of character, build your own background pretty easily. Um, it's a lot simpler than sort of a Pathfinder 2E customization kind of thing, and you still get a lot of sort of the same flexibility and can achieve goals and stuff. But uh, it's uh, and Troika is like a, it's a 2d6 system and they have, I, um, well, it's like, I think uh, there are some aspects of it where it's like a 3d6, but, uh, everything is done on d6 charts. So, um, usually you, you're going to get stuff in multiples of six, like, oh, this is going to have 36 origins and, uh, 36 archetypes and everything. It just all tends to work in those numbers. So you can pair all those together and build unique heroes and backgrounds and things. And I like how, it's just completely um, uh, not trying to hide what it's trying to ape. It's like Longshot City's creators suggest everything from a trench coat mage, granted their abilities by being sucked into a work of fiction, to a parasitic power suit from outer space or a custom hero of the player's examination. So it's nice that they're showing love to both Sean Constantine and Venom there. So that's that's pleasant. Um, I am looking forward to this like you would not believe. The Kickstarter is not active yet. Um, so I've got it saved, so I'll get an alert for when it is. Uh, there's going to be three different kinds of campaign structures for it. Um, Troika has really good tables, uh, for effects and things like that. So it's going to have lots of KO tables, uh, and like death tables and, and, you know, near miss tables and things like that. Um, I've been looking for a good superhero RPG and I'm just always a fan with the kind of tone of the kind of tone that Troika strikes, uh, which is just like, a little bit off in everything that it does. It's just a little bit off. I'm writing something now and I'm sort of taking just sort of the general Troika milieu as an inspiration for that. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to this. I would encourage you, if you have not checked out Troika, to check it out. The SRD for it is free. You just have to Google Troika SRD and you can take a look at it. Um, but they produce really interesting stuff. Uh, and also, Melsonian Arts Council has published a couple, I think, of like 5e compatible adventures as well. So very, very interesting. So if you like superheroes, if if you like masks and you're looking for something less noir and more weird, uh, give it a go. And I have a strong suspicion based on the fact that as of recording, this article is today that it was released. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and since it says that the Kickstarter and backer kit for Longshot City will be released, quote unquote, soon, mm -hmm. I suspect that by the time this episode releases, this Kickstarter will be live. And if it's not live already, then you can follow it and it should be live very soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And thank you to Dicebreaker and Matt Jarvis on that. Um, like I said. I knew about this before I read this story, but this was just a nice, succinct summation of everything. 
complete with pretty pictures for us to put on the YouTubes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so there, that covers, that covers our indie gaming bona fides <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> well, well, we could cover a little bit more indie gaming bona fides. Okay. Uh, I was trawling through itch.io looking for fascinating and new projects to talk about. And I found a little something called Solar Crawl. Mm -hmm. Solar Crawl is a TTRPG that's built off OSR, which right. uh, I, as I started reading through the rules, I was like, oh, it's kind of a resource based survival game. Uh, not necessarily like gritty or grimdark, but, you know, distinctly those two things. And you were immediately. <laughs> yeah, I was immediately like, oh, so it's an OSR game. <laughs> <laughs> Lo like potentially low survivability, very much watching yep. how many potions you've got. The uh -huh. When uh, Alan and I played in uh, uh, a first edition rules game uh, with our friend Scott, one time that was the first time i'd ever gotten into it and i was just like oh good god like <laughs> this is how they had to live in the 70s uh this is this is difficult but yeah um you know osr games traditionally are a little bit more i guess quote unquote hardcore um uh they there tend to be more consequences to your actions and you're almost always guaranteed at least one player death uh, in the course yeah. of your of your adventures, I saw multiple opportunities in these rules for players to just die, which mm -hmm. I was like, that seems brutal. But then it's I mean, it's part of the mechanics of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't you can only level up by going out and exploring. And the whole goal of exploring is not kill a bunch of monsters. It's survive. Right. So I've got. I've prepared a few things here to show off on the YouTubes, but it's a pretty cool system. They've got a variety of equipment that makes sense for an astronaut to be carrying around. It's supposed to be kind of a near future setup where uh, the civilization that you are part of is having some waning resources problems, and they're looking to space to solve those for them. And so they uh, they send you and your crew out to hopefully find something helpful. And it's possible for you as part of going out and finding things to bring back resources to uh, revitalize your planet and maybe even have it prosperity, have it have greater prosperity than it had before things started to go bad. Mm -hmm. um, so I pulled up here for the folks watching along at home. Um, there's a few different varieties of ships. Uh, it says that three out of these four are not yet available in playtest, but I can say definitively that one of these three is, which is the candle. But basically, uh, as you advance throughout the game, you're advancing the society that you are a part of. And in turn, you're advancing their technological capabilities. And so yeah. there's just significant just for just for like context for especially for folks who might be listening like of the different spacecraft we're talking about here you've got the torch program which seems sort of loosely analogous to apollo you've got the candle program which is sort of one of those artificial gravity ring ships like think the martian that kind of thing and then uh lantern is more of a deep space type situation 
and then incandescent is uh, reverse engineering alien technologies. <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, there's a race of intelligent life forms that existed before any of the sentient life forms you're currently going to interact with that was traveling around the galaxy at I'm assuming beyond light speeds and had severely uh, or rather significantly influential technological resources. And then they vanish for some reason or another. Mm -hmm. And of course that's very mysterious, but I'm sure there's opportunities for folks to write in their own reasons for precursors vanishing amongst the, uh, written material for them the running of the game it's they've got a pretty cool gameplay loop i would say the concept is that you go to foreign planets you explore you're not there to kill the local wildlife or fauna you're really there to collect information and possibly find some answers to your own problems and then return back to your homeworld, at which point your homeworld goes, great, here, like with all of these things that you found, we can make these advancements. Your party then makes all the decisions about what kinds of advancements homeworld makes, and then that in turn changes what kind of gear that they can get, as yeah. well as leveling them up. Because there's like there's like different levels of play too, from what from what I understand. Like there's sort of like you go out there and you explore, and that's more like the character level stuff where you're actually yep. like playing your character. But then when yep. you get on the ship to come back, then you become like your space agency, and then you get to decide how to take the resource points essentially that your crew came up with and distribute them. And I th I think when we were talking about this before, I made uh, like I, I analogized it to a tech tree in in yes. like in basically any real time strategy game. Yes, exactly. And that's I think that's kind of cool. I mm -hmm. haven't seen a lot of other TTRPGs do something like that. I've seen board games do stuff like that, but not mm -hmm. really TTRPGs. So it's kind of cool to see them doing it here. Um they do use as part of the exploration, it's a hex-based system. Um they've got a couple of demo maps that are available that you can use as part of the playtest. Um it's worth noting, Brandon noticed this after I got very invested in talking about it, which is why we're still talking about it, uh, that the play, the page for this game on itch is going dark today, May 31st, <laughs> which you might see is a little inconvenient for me promoting folks going out and purchasing this game. The good news is that it seems like they're going to have it released uh, by what was it? A couple of Drakes. Yeah. Yeah. They got a publishing more. agreement. Yep. And they're going to re-release it with some tweaks and modifications to the rules. And I suspect they've expanded a little bit on some of these things that aren't available in the play test materials. Um, I got it for pay what you want. So I threw a few dollars down. I'm not going to regret any of that because this is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But, uh, if you are looking to get your hands on it, that we noticed two things. Brandon noticed that Drive-Thru RPG also has a solar crawl page and that that page doesn't say anything about going dark. But yeah. we also noticed that uh, a couple of Drakes has their own both uh, Drive-Thru RPG and I think I saw an itch.io page for them as well. 
that you can go to and look at their work. And so Solar Crawl should be available there, I would hope, uh, either by release of this episode or shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, just from what I've read through this, I'm very excited to play it. I'm a big fan of space sci-fi that takes place sort of like just within the solar system almost uh like i don't think it has to get so out there that you have to you know start talking about ftl and and stuff like that too early like like i like the expanse uh because of that because there's like so much just in the solar system that you could explore without having to look outside it uh so you know, colonizing Venus, like figuring out ways to do that, colonizing Mars, essentially figuring out ways to colonize Titan and, and places further out. It's it's very much a, a like gotta um, for all mankind kind of feel to it. Um, I think I think they even like credit Ron Moore in the credits on this. They, like, oh yeah, this is great. They specifically credit for all mankind by Ron Moore <laughs> in the the inspirations list. Um, I and just, and just so just for context for, for folks, if you don't know the name Ron Moore, shame on you, uh, because, uh, he, along with Iris Stephen Bear were one of the driving forces behind Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, perhaps the greatest Star Trek series that's, that's ever existed. Um, he also is behind the, uh, 2004 reboot of Battlestar Galactica. And he was also behind Outlander, which is not the same kind of sci-fi, but uh, it's more like, you know, fantasy-fi, I guess. Uh, but he always he always does interesting stuff, uh, especially with sort of uh, historical stuff and sci-fi stuff. So if they were inspired even a little bit by his work, uh, it's probably going to be pretty great. It's funny because I remember when you and I were first looking at this, you were like, oh, it's got kind of a for all mankind vibe. And I was like, yeah, I was kind of getting something kind of like No Man's Sky out of this. And both of those are credited as inspirations. Yeah. I mean, I guess that means they probably did it right. I would say so. That I mean, was, I, know, we were able I to like read what it. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's I, I've got here some of the artifacts that you can find on some of the planets. Uh, I noticed a troubling trend for these, these alien artifacts that you're like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like this is alien technology that perhaps we can make use of that two of them right on the first page of alien artifacts are like, yeah, if your astronaut was to say jam this into their spine, I'm like, who, who is in space going, okay, I found some cool alien artifacts. Let me, let me jam this into my spine. Mm -hmm. I think that'll help. Just That'll cram it in there. Things better. Just get get it on in there. It'll be a good time. I don't. I don't. I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is their monster system. Is they've got hit dice, which instead of doing full on hit points, they have you roll uh, on a success fail basis, mm -hmm. and if you succeed, then the monster takes one damage, and then uh, after you succeed enough times the monster dies. You don't have to do like, okay, I succeeded, but I only rolled a three on 2d8. So I guess we'll be at this for a while, mm -hmm. which I don't know. I, I like that system. It's a good system. I've been using that system more when I'm running brewery games because I don't want fights to last 200 HP. I want them to last 
however long feels satisfying. Yeah. They need, <laughs> like, <laughs> they need to last as long as story purposes require them to last. They, they need to be enjoyable as combat and saying, okay, well, let's see how you're going to work down this 200 HP. It's like, eh, I'd much rather go, okay, these guys have 40 ish HP. This guy's got 200 ish HP. So those guys are probably going to go down in like one or two hits, depending on how chonky those hits are. And mm-hmm. this guy's going to go down in like five, six, maybe eight hits, depending on how chonky those hits are. So let's, let's do this. Let's go. Yeah. It's, it's, I've said this before, but just like the older I get and the more I do this kind of thing, the more rules light I want to go on stuff. Uh, just because I just want to tell a story and have fun with people. I don't necessarily want to add and subtract numbers overly much. Yeah. 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 That's kind of where I'm at as well. So uh, yeah, uh, hopefully this becomes available for everybody else to be looking at in the immediate future, because I really like the look of this and would like to run a game of this soon. Yeah, I think we should do that. Absolutely. I, I definitely think we should. Um <laughs> uh real uh, quick yeah that is solar crawl which is by oh god why did i yeah say that french name say it oh you're in too deep now you have to say it i shouldn't have closed the link for starts Mm -hmm. galen peugeot i believe is how that is pronounced that sounds right uh it's p-e-j-e-a-u uh, if you know French more than I do, which is, uh, if you know French at all, probably yes. Uh, <laughs> and you want to correct me on that. You can find me at Black Cloak DM on Twitter and Discord. Uh, and you can find me at Way of Brandalore. Oh, and, uh, that just reminded me of something. I was experimenting, uh, cause I, I throw these, uh, video versions of the podcast into Premiere and trim them down. I do very minimal edits to them. And I saw that it uh, has a feature now for um, automatic transcript generation. I'm like, oh, that's nice. We've been looking for a pretty solid solution on that where we didn't have to do too much work. And I was like, oh, this is actually pretty good as I'm reading through it. And then I realized that it translated that as, uh, and I'm the way of brand allure, B-R-A-N-D-A-L-L-U-R-E. And it just went off the off the rails from there. (laughs) So I had to give up. I was, you showed me that and I was like, oh, finally, somebody's really figured out that your name is Brandalure. Yeah, I was, I was very excited for a very limited <laughs> period of time on that. Um, yeah, but, uh, as far as announcements go, um, the usual stuff, telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins of Growlers podcast, uh, word of mouth is the best way to grow the podcast audience. Um, we've already seen a few YouTube subscriptions since we started doing that uh, a little bit more regularly. So I want to keep the train rolling on that. Um, and as far as other stuff that's going on, I think our next capital T thing is too many games, uh, the weekend of, uh, June 23, 24 and 25 in uh, Philadelphia, PA. So if, uh, you can make it there and you want to see a bunch of indie games. We're going to be in the indie game showcase. We're going to bring some stuff with us. And there's also going to be music. There's going to be panels. I think we're going to be running some games. Uh, I got to confirm all this stuff with Alon later. So that's the next big deal that we've got going on. We're very excited about being there, um, bringing a lot of stuff there. So hopefully that'll work out. And 
what else? What else have we got if, going on? If you haven't already signed up for the newsletter or our many social medias or seen our website, then might I suggest that you go to Linktree, linktr.ee slash goblins and growlers, all lowercase, and uh, check some of those things out. The newsletter is once a month, so it's not a big commitment. It's not usually a hefty read. And Brandon tries to include some uh, some little extra goodies in there that we don't talk about on any of our shows or anything like that, so that it, you're getting unique content as well as it being conveniently located in your email inbox. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I have started putting a little thing at the end, just letting you know any interesting stuff we have in the online store, uh, goblinsandgrowlers.bigcartel.com, although that may change depending on my how I want to manage our inventory going on. Uh, but uh, like, for example, the custom character sheets will be returning to the online store uh, in June at some point. That is all I am willing to commit to at the moment. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe if you keep listening to the podcast, we'll have some special podcast only coupon codes that you shouldn't tell anybody about if we tell you them deep, deep and terrible secrets. Tell everyone about the podcast, but don't tell them about secret codes. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Josh, do you have anything else? I don't think I've got anything else specific. Uh, I, it's, I'm really excited for, it seems like, it seems like we're finally starting to spin the old TTRPG wheels up again. Mm-hmm. Like we're starting to see more interesting news. We're starting to see some new, uh, indie games that we had not been hearing anything about for a long time. I feel like there was like a month or two period where you and I were like, man, what are we going to talk about? It feels like there should be more to talk about, but it's, it also feels so dry right now. Yeah, there was, it, it was very much a desert there for a while where I was just scraping and scrambling, trying to find cool stuff. But I'm, I'm feeling like we're, we're coming back into the spin of things. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll have some other stuff to talk about. Um, we'll, you know, probably telegraph that a little bit. Uh, so pay attention to the Discord and we'll talk to you then. Sounds good to me. Bye, y'all. like what you hear consider subscribing and giving us a review over on apple podcasts especially early in the feed subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way thank you